You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. Welcome to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. Got an exciting episode for you guys today. This episode, we are talking about Purdue's connection to the 2020 NASA Mars Rover Perseverance mission. And that connection is my guest today. She is an associate professor of planetary science, and she is Bryony Horgan. Bryony, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, exciting to have you on. Uh, this podcast loves to do uh, space exploration type stories. I think this is our, I believe if I count right, this will be our fourth NASA space related uh, podcast episode. So welcome to the club here. I got the uh, NASA shirt for those who are watching on the uh, the web interview. Got the NASA shirt and magnet here for uh, for the support <laughs> today. So well, thank well you. Purdue, Purdue loves space, so it's yes. always great to the cradle of astronauts. So it's fitting that we uh, that we uh, explore this as well. So, well, I'm uh, excited to have you on the podcast and to hear about this uh, about your connection and Purdue's connection to this um, this mission. It's uh, really cool. As I was kind of reading up on it, uh, preparing for this episode. Um, before we jump uh, completely into that, let's let our our listeners get to know you a little bit. Um, and let our viewers, viewers and listeners, I apologize, uh, know a little more about you, where you're from originally, and then how you made your way to Purdue. Yes, I'm from Portland, Oregon originally, uh, and I, so I grew up on the on the between the the Pacific Ocean and the and the volcanoes of the Pacific Northwest. So I grew up loving geology, and I went to Oregon State for undergrad, uh, and then a PhD at Cornell in upstate New York. Uh, spent some time in Phoenix, and then finally made my way to the middle of the country here at Purdue in 2014. And so I've been here at Purdue as faculty since 2014. Okay, well, welcome to the Midwest. Uh, after a lot of time over there in Pacific time. Um, uh, I guess you spent some time on the East Coast too, so you've kind of made your way all around the country here. Um, we'll talk about, let's just get into this about how you got interested in space exploration. Yeah, so uh, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do when I was you know, in college and trying to figure out where my career was going to be, but I knew I loved, I loved rocks and I loved space and I had just, you know, I'd gotten really into reading science fiction and I'd read a couple of books too by Carl Sagan, uh, sort of one of the best science communicators of all time. He you know, made the original Cosmos TV series. He was actually a planetary scientist who worked on the Viking mission and other, other major planetary science missions. And I think it was actually his books that inspired me because he talks a lot about you know, what kinds of crazy life we might expect to live in the solar system and how we can send these missions out to explore it. And I think I didn't even know that uh, you could you could do that for a career until I started reading his books in college, and so that's where I decided to go on to grad school in planetary science. And since I never looked back, it's it's so much fun to work in space exploration. Really, at the you know the really literally in in the last frontier, right? Trying to explore our solar system. So it's been great. That's really cool and yeah, definitely exciting uh, subjects, exciting uh, study uh, for sure. I'm talking about um, uh, with your focus on this and your passion behind uh, space e space exploration, talk about how long you've kind of been interested in, in exploring, you know, uh, possible life on other planets. Yeah, so I think that goes back to, uh, I think reading Carl Sagan really goes back to there, but we're also right around that same time I was reading his books was when the Mars Exploration Rovers Spirit and Opportunity were landing on Mars, so right around 2003, 2004, and I think it was actually, it was seeing those pictures come back and you know the rovers were learning about these ancient watery environments on ancient Mars our first kind of our first time really landing on the ground and seeing that up close and personal with the robot and I think that that's the first time I really started thinking about it 
But I think then uh, what's been really great is now being involved with the rover missions, uh, actually as a scientist on board. So I, I joined uh, the Curiosity rover mission back in 2016. And, you know, there we're, we're trying to understand uh, what kinds of ancient environments lived, were, existed on Mars and what kind of life might have lived in them. You know, we've actually done things like found organic molecules in these ancient lake muds and things, right, which tell us that those were environments that life could have thrived in. And so that's just, it's been a lot of fun trying to help the help the mission uh, figure out where we should look for signs of that ancient life and what it might look like. That's really awesome. I love it. And talk about um, how exciting this is, you know, who would thought, you know, back in 2003, when you were kind of really getting into this and following this at, you know, what, 11 or uh, 13 and 17 years later, you'd be involved with, oh, there's Brian calling, oops, uh, 17 years later, you'd be involved, part of a study you did on mineralogy and, and uh, presentation is now linked uh, NASA to help deciding uh, where they're going to send the uh, Perseverance uh, uh, rover up there. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, one of the things, you know, I joined the the Perseverance rover team uh, back when the, the camera, I'm actually on the camera team for Perseverance, and so, you know, the rover is made up of a bunch of instruments that are doing all kinds of cool science, and to, to get on the mission, we actually had to propose those instruments to NASA, and so I was on the proposal for the camera, and so that was selected back in 2016, and so then, you know, even before the rover was launched, we started doing a lot of work as a team to figure out, okay, where should we go, right? Where where do we send our our one, possibly our only chance ever to look for signs of ancient life on Mars, because that's the goal of this mission, is to look for signs of ancient life. You know, we've been building up to, up to this mission for 30, 40 years to, you know, if we finally understand enough to say that, yeah, we're going to go look, we're going to Mars to look at these ancient environments and look for signs of life. And so this is our one shot. It's also our only shot potentially to ever bring samples back from Mars. You know, we have meteorites and a few, you know, small things like that that have come, you know, naturally to us from Mars, but we don't have any rock samples in hand from Mars today. And, you know, it's, it's so incredible. It's really incredible to have those. They can teach us so much about not just whether or not there was life on Mars, you know, how Mars formed. I could tell us about the early solar system. And so we're hoping that follow-up missions will actually bring samples back that we're collecting with this rover to tell us about that. So this is a really, it's a high stakes mission, right? That's kind of what it's getting at. It's our, potentially our one shot to look for life and to bring samples back that will fundamentally change our understanding of Mars. Um, and so where do you go? What one place on the planet do you, do you go to to try to fulfill all of that, right? It's a really tough decision. And it's, it's a long one. We actually spent five years uh, trying to work out where to go. And not just the rover team, not just NASA. This is a big community effort, hundreds and hundreds of scientists contributing ideas. And But, you know, as part of that on the team, we were spending a lot of time looking at these, you know, kind of the high priority landing sites. And so uh, so I did a I led a study where we uh, looked at Jezero Crater, where we ended up going, and we found these really, really cool mineral deposits inside this crater that used to hold an ancient lake. And these mineral deposits are carbonate minerals, which form when you have water interacting with rock. And we think these actually formed uh, basically on beaches on this ancient lake. And if you can imagine white carbonate beaches on the shore of this ancient lake. So that's what we found and we think that's there. And that's really exciting for this mission because these uh, the carbonate minerals, when they precipitate out of the lake, they're really good at trapping anything that's living on the beaches or in the lake itself. So they're great at trapping signs of ancient microbial life. And that's what we're looking for. So we're really hoping we'll roll up to these ancient white sandy beaches and see, you know, entombed uh, bits of microbes and microbial mats and other things like that uh, preserved there. Wow. And talk about the possibility of finding that and the, the excitement of that and the hope to, to find things to bring back. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if we actually find signs of ancient life on Mars, that'll be one of the biggest discoveries of our lifetime, right? One of the biggest scientific discoveries. Because right now, you know, the only data point we have for what life looks like is, is Earth. We really have no idea how common life is in the universe. We have no idea what it looks like outside of Earth even microbial life, right? We would love to find, you know, actual uh, extraterrestrial aliens communicating with us, but step one is saying, okay, how common is life at all, right? How common is it for life to start and evolve? And so looking at our own backyard and our solar system for signs of life on other planets is a great first step to that. Um, and it'll tell us how common it is. And so if we can actually find that with this mission, that'll totally fundamentally change our understanding of life in the universe. It'll open up a whole new field of science, you know, trying to figure out what ancient Martian life looked like, so it's just, it's really exciting to be part of that effort. Awesome. And the uh, Perseverance launched back on, I believe, July, July 30th, if I have the date right. Um, and it's not even there yet. I believe, what, only about a, what, a quarter of the way through. Talk about the time it takes to even get there from, from a launch. Yeah, so it takes about six months of cruising, cruising through space for uh, the, the rover to get there. Uh, and then we'll get to Mars in February. I think it's February 21st. I think landing is around 3 p.m. Eastern. I can check that. Uh, and so what happens when we get there is actually pretty nuts. So we're, you know, we're traveling. When we get to Mars, we'll be going about 12,000 miles per hour. And we have seven minutes to slow down to zero, right? So how do you do that? Well, first off, we enter the atmosphere and we have a big heat shield. And so friction between the heat shield and the atmosphere creates this big plasma fireball, but it helps us slow down a good chunk of the way. But then we also need to, uh, once we're slowed down enough, we throw out a parachute, a huge, huge parachute out the back of the rover, the biggest one ever built. Uh, has never been fully tested on Earth because it's too big and the Earth's atmosphere is too thick, right? We can't do it properly. So we throw that out the back. Uh, and then, but that's still not going to slow us down enough. And so then we end up with this uh, really awesome but kind of crazy contraption that the, the engine propulsion laboratory designed, which, uh, which they call the sky crane. I like to think of it as a rover jetpack <laughs> because it's literally, you can imagine the rover, we're descending now in the capsule, we drop off the bottom of the capsule, and then the capsule drops the rover out. And the rover has a jetpack on its back that has rockets that shoot down. And that helps it slow down. And then the rover has radar on board that can figure out how far it is from the surface. And when it gets close enough, then <laughs> it lowers the rover on a tether uh, down to the surface, cuts the tether and the jetpack flies away. So it's kind of nuts, but we've done it before. The Curiosity rover landed this exact same way and went off without a hitch. Um, but it's definitely, it's nerve wracking. We call this period of time during landing the seven minutes of terror <laughs> because uh, you know it takes about between 10 and 20 minutes for uh, any kind of radio signal to get from Mars back to Earth. So by the time we get a signal that the rover has entered the top of the Martian atmosphere, it's actually already sitting on the surface, either alive or in pieces, <laughs> right? So it's just waiting for that next signal to come back. And so it's a nerve wracking, but really exciting seven minutes of our lives. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that has to be in intense for sure. Yeah. And just talk about the overall confidence level that that will all uh, go as planned. I mean, I got to say, NASA engineers, they, they know how to do their job, right? They've done a fantastic job in previous missions. NASA has been literally hitting out of the park on uh, everything they've done in the past, uh, past 20 years or so. They went through a rough period before that, but I think they learned their lesson. As it's, it's been really great. You know, NASA is very, very careful. They test everything, you know, a thousand times and as much as they can. And it's, it's worked really well. I mean, look at our, our rovers on the surface now, right? I mean, Spirit and Opportunity were designed to last 90 days and lasted from anywhere spirit was seven years and opportunity was almost 20 years on the surface so it's just you know they have a warranty but then they always they always blow past it uh, we're hoping the same thing will be true for perseverance that it'll work really well and then just keep going yeah. out into the distance cool 
And so what does NASA or what does Bryony Horgan do in the meantime as we kind of wait till February for the uh, rover to land? Yeah, we're doing a couple things on the science team to prepare. I mean, one thing we're definitely doing is just learning how to work together as a science team. You know, we actually, uh, the way we command the rover on the surface is uh, we basically get together as a team every single day on, you know, this long series of telecons and put together this big plan for what the rover is going to do on the next day. Uh, and then we send that to the rover and the rover does it, right? Does it totally autonomously on its own. It's sort of, you know, simple artificial intelligence that actually does this. Um, so we're learning how to do that. You know, how do we run this rover with all the complicated, amazing, you know, microscopes and other cool stuff that we have on there. The other thing we're doing is trying to learn more about the landing site and trying to decide, you know, where we're going to go. Uh, because again, this is a really, it's a, it's a high stakes mission. We have a lot we have to do. We have to look for life, we have to collect samples, you have to do all this stuff. And NASA has given us, you know, like two or three years to do that. <laughs> and it was just not a long time uh, for this really complex rover mission. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, be really careful planning depending, you know, if we land here, where do we go first? If we land here, where do we go? So we're trying to make sure that's all, we're ready to go as, uh, as soon as we get on the ground. That's really, really cool. I'm excited. I can't wait for February. Talk about the emotions that you'll be going through uh, on that day when it's uh, landing. Uh, I think it'll be incredibly excited, right? But I'm also really nervous, right? You can't help but be nervous when there's this uh, this thing you put your, you know, for me, you know, the last uh, five years of my life, but for some of the engineers, it's, you know, it's 10, 15 years, it's a long time. Uh, and a lot of money and, you know, a lot of effort. And we're really, we're pinning a lot of hopes on this mission. So we're definitely going to be a little nervous, but mostly just really, really excited. And we can't wait to get the the, the first images back from the ground from the rover. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine this is a highlight of your career alone just attempting this let alone enough if you know if it's successful and like you said if you find life up there yeah i mean even just uh you know the place we're going jesuit crater is really exciting we're even you know we're, we're going to collect samples and bring them back even if we don't see obvious signs of life we're still going to look for samples that can we think have a great chance of preserving life that we can see with our you know really awesome uh, lab instruments back here on earth so that, that's kind of our, our goal right um, but even you know and we'll do that and but even without that i mean it's just every time we land on mars we're surprised and just delighted by the new things we learn about you know how planets like earth evolve over time and what kind of what they looked like billions of years ago and so uh, it's going to be an amazing mission that's cool. And then I, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, is it another six month trip back or does it travel back quicker or slower? Uh, so this rover is actually is going to Mars to stay. Okay. <laughs> so it'll be on Mars forever. Okay. Uh, but so what we're actually hoping is that the sample, so this rover will collect the samples and then it'll take a whole series of missions to bring the samples back. It's really complicated, right? You have to, Mars 2020 Perseverance rover will collect the samples, these sort of pencil sized tubes of rock, it'll drill out of the ground. And then uh, we send another set of missions to, uh, you know, a little rover, sort of a little compact, you know, simple rover to go grab those samples uh, from 2020, bring them back to a launching platform, which then you have to put this sort of, you know, sample capsules about the size of your head um, on, a, on a little rocket, which launches into space. First time we've done that. We've never launched off another planet before, right? So that's a whole new thing. Then that capsule has to rendezvous with a satellite in orbit around Mars and then travel back to Earth and land on Earth. So it's, it's a lot of steps. So we can't do it all with this rover. But NASA and the Europeans have actually signed an agreement that they're going to try to do it together. It's also not cheap. And so if we can share the costs and share the science we get out of it, that's a really great way to go about it. So we're hoping in the next, in about 10 years or so, uh, around then we'll have those samples back here on Earth. Wow. That's a long time to wait, but... <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, it will be worth it once once you get those things uh, back on Earth. That'd be really cool to to see results of that and just 
uh, excited to hear what happens in, in February as well once, once it lands up there. Um, Brian, as we're kind of wrapping up here, anything else that you want our listeners to know about this mission? I think just that, you know, Purdue is such a great place to do this kind of work because it's so supportive of space exploration. You know, we have this amazing planetary science group at Purdue we've just put together in the last 10 years or so that we're just doing uh, doing amazing work all over the solar system. And we even have an undergraduate major now in planetary science that has, you know, uh, I think almost 90 students in it. So it's just, it's a really, really great place to be doing space exploration work right now. Definitely. Uh, it's really cool. And yes, Purdue is... Uh, just continuing to lead the way in, in discoveries and exploration and all, all the uh, sciences there as well. So awesome. Well, Bryony, thank you so much for uh, just sharing your experience and, and uh, your connection with this mission. That's so cool to hear about and uh, have to follow up with you uh, uh, later in, in 2021, just kind of hear how things are going. Yeah, I'd love to anytime. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Thank you so much. All right. Boiler up. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. And you can always listen to, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and tune in. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.